Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Penalty Loop Podcast, a podcast about biathlon by Jordan Gottschalk from Penalty Loop and a regular guest, RJ Weiss from Biathlon Analytics. RJ, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. It's uh start of winter. Maybe so. for you. <laughs> yeah, no, we just had uh, had our first snowfall, and uh, Camber Nordic Center is putting down the snow from last year that they saved up. So, uh, yeah, and minus right. 18 Celsius is also a fairly good indicator. Minus 18? Yep. Okay, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and this is the scary um, part so... of the year because uh, there's a lot of people driving that didn't put their winter tires on yet and now there's a at least two week waiting time to get your tires on so nice yeah well we're a nice a nice cool uh 28 celsius here so um Ah, that's 28 above and hardship uh, yeah we're really struggling (laughs) those those fall breezes are rolling in it's time for a nice you know cup of hot chocolate cup of tea sitting out with the (laughs) yeah sure as, as fall as autumn really takes over yeah well we are back. I think it's our first interview in about a month. Um, yep. Last time we interviewed Hannah Kabinger, who is obviously a very young, exciting uh, uh, German woman, and we have a lot of high hopes for her. And this time around, we have an equally exciting, even more exciting um, young athlete. Uh, Nicholas Hartweg joined us for a wild ride. Um, you know, we hit had a little bit of everything, but that was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. And uh you know, some, some interesting topics. Uh, I really liked, uh, where we talked a little bit about different coaching approaches, mm-hmm. um, you know, other activities. Um, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but, uh, it was really, uh, really fun to, uh, to spend some time with him and absolutely get to know and him a little better. It was just a really very real interview. You know, he's a very loose guy and, and it was good to see that, you know, come out and, um, we had some good laughs. Uh, I had a lot of fun, right? He seems like the kind of guy you just want to grab a beer with and just share some stories. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, um, he drinks beer actually. We never, that's what I was going to ask. I don't know. I, I forgot yeah. to ask him, but, uh, grab some nachos with, and, uh, that'll <laughs> yeah, make sense sure. at the very end. And, yeah. um, and, uh, yeah. And, and share some stories. So, um, I don't know. Was there anything else you wanted to, to touch on before we jumped into it? Um, no, I, I have not been very active on social media recently, so I don't, haven't noticed any, uh, news items or anything in the world of biathlon. So I saw something really exciting. The Italian team has a new biathlon truck. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what kind of parties they host out of that thing. Uh, (laughs) new, the, the wax team apparently has a, a nice, a nice new vehicle and they've been asking for it for a couple of years and. I don't know. Maybe it's got a, a a wine fridge in it. You know, that'd be kind of cool. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Although maybe you don't need a wine fridge. Maybe you just stick the bottles outside and chill the them in the snow. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right. Yeah, and, well, I was going to say, any time I see a new uh, new wax truck, now I always I get excited because you know I've, apparently that's the place to be. So I think they need to start making them modular so they can uh, hook them up <laughs> to each other and make it in a big party building. Uh, sounds like a plan. All right. Um, I hope uh, everybody will enjoy our chat with Nicholas Hartweg. And um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again after this episode for the next one. Absolutely. All right. Enjoy. Take care. Yodeling. 
That's it. And then do you uh, make music with the band or, or is it uh, just no, I you? Make, and... I make music by myself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why I okay. just uh, moved the apartment and this is going to be a little bit of my music room. Um, okay. But but I still have to get the acoustic done a little bit. So I have to do a little gotcha. bit of brainstorming. I just moved three days ago. So oh, wow. yeah, I okay. do music by myself. I taught it myself. Uh, and I got a few friends which join in once in a while. Um, nice. With yeah some vocals and stuff but uh yeah it's just it's just a hobby to switch off a little bit and and get the mind off of python sometimes right you need mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. so this is and mine. i saw <laughs> i'm not sure how uh how much your website is up to date but i saw you also do video editing and and photo editing and that kind of thing is that still something you're uh you're doing or yeah yeah definitely like uh, also with the music and comes a little bit together all of this stuff like we did mm -hmm two or three music videos as well where yeah you can like just get a little bit of the creativity uh, creativity right uh flowing and i th i like to get a little bit creative once in a while so this is where like the editing and and filming mm -hmm. photography music like call it all meets a little bit so I, i do i do quite a lot of stuff in my free time yeah so i must i must uh be honest and i i don't recall what your rifle looks like, but I'm I'm assuming it's not just a wooden stock, or is it? I mean, it's it is wood, right? Uh, but it's, no, but I mean, it's like, is not. it is it just plain wood, or if, if, did you paint it, or? Uh, yeah, yeah, I any did creativity. Paint it. it's, uh, it's like it's uh, I painted it myself, and we mm -hmm. we also got quite a bit of creative. Um, it's not it doesn't point out so much. That was my goal. It's uh, it's not like a bright color. It's it's like matte mm -hmm. black. But it has like these shiny black details to it. So if the mm -hmm. if the light cool. falls on it uh, correctly, you will see like a lightning or a smiley or something oh. popping out. And my friends, uh, they all painted something on it, and then we painted it. So so there's a few details, but I don't know if if you can see it over over the TV or maybe you have to have a look at it in in so person maybe to see those. Details. The next time that you go into the final shooting in the lead with like a <laughs> and you're a minute ahead and you shoot clean. Can you promise me that you'll hold it up to the camera so that everybody can see it in all the <laughs> okay. in all the light directions and okay. stuff? Okay, maybe maybe a bit of a ballsy move when first time <laughs> with a big lead, and then directly. Um, well, yeah, I mean, sure, sure, why not? There's okay, a lead. deal. If I don't forget oh. it, <laughs> I say last year we I had will, JT I will uh, give, give a small showcase. Well, last year we okay. had JT shushing shushing the cloud the crowd. So uh, yeah, you you holding up the rifle that'd be perfect. Yeah, maybe, maybe. As long as I don't get disqualified for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just take a really long time putting it back on your uh, yeah. on your back. Okay, <laughs> got you. Make sure it's a really big lead when you do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like a minute lead, depending yeah, on who's go. behind you, can yeah. come down to a quite close lead, uh, and depending on what the shape is. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So you went with the uh, with the black. You didn't didn't want to go with something bright and shiny like. Uh, Marketa Davidova's uh, unicorn rifle. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was uh, because like I like to do stuff myself, so I didn't want to give it to someone that's going to paint it for me and pay him money for mm -hmm. for something. I like to like kind of have a connection to it myself, so I paint it myself. Maybe it doesn't get like the super best result, but I think it's actually quite decent. And I don't know. I like. I think if I would paint it again, I would go for a brighter color, like maybe something mm. blue or something. Uh, but I'm for me personally, I don't like like too much design on it and stuff. I think it's actually like a quite neat piece. Also, mm -hmm. 
you know, the stock is like made out of piece of wood, which is like one mm-hmm. block. And then you build this, this craft out of it. So I don't think it needs more details because it's already a nice craft. Mm-hmm. So a nice color just suits it well. And then, yeah, I think it's, it's quite enough for my taste. And mm-hmm. it's already a piece of art. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's I, I had a, to say, yeah. I have my stock painted and it's, uh, it's gradually from the front is orange and then it gradually goes to dark red on the back for because yeah, cool. I'm originally from Holland and then so it graduates from the Dutch color to the Canadian color and then the backside has a Canadian flag in a subtle tone yeah, and the yeah. front has a orange line on it but um, yeah, yeah but that's like something I, in subtle, hindsight is it is a cool right very Brit sorry yeah yeah that's like something subtle which is I think cool like mm-hmm. you have like a small small effect. I think it would be cool also like from from a gray into a white or something like that's that's nice but like mm-hmm. all these fancy stuff and it's not not like my my taste at least mm-hmm. right but right. it looks it looks cool and I think it's cool when people get creative and then think outside of the box mm-hmm. and do something ballsy as well for for the right the uh, the matte paint does it have any uh does it help the grip at all or is that is it not yeah, that? Yeah, it, it actually, so when I painted it, I did the gloss first and then I, I put the stickers on where I, and like carved out the stickers and put them on mm-hmm. where I want the gloss to be and then went over with the matte, right? And you really feel like the matte, it's it's a rougher color. So basically mm-hmm. uh, at the cheek where you put on your cheek um, mm-hmm. yep. and it, the matte really, it, it grips a little bit better. I think oh, cool. you don't need like maximum grip, but if it would be like super neatly shiny, um there i think you would slip when it starts raining it would slip quite aggressively mm-hmm. so there something matte is is uh i'd say probably nice to have or or better yeah 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 so um, go ahead no go ahead no we were chatting before the uh uh the interview with you about a video you have on youtube i think it was from january this year yeah. jordan yeah it's january the uh, IBU so video, you, the the what's in my uh, the rifle bag. Oh uh, yeah, I <laughs> seem to have very good fun with that, which was great yeah. to see. Um, <laughs> but there was something dropping out, and we thought it was some sort of picture. Do you remember that? Oh, oh, this is embarrassing. No, no, yeah, it was, I was, I, I definitely remember it. Yeah, do you remember? Do you do you recognize I, well, anyone on the picture? No, I didn't. But we're of course really curious who that was. Okay. Okay. I think, I think you definitely recognize it. You just wanted me to say it, but, uh, yeah, definitely. So we, we had this, this rifle bag coming up. We thought it would be funny, like to, you know, uh, David Sobel was before me and he put in like a fragrance into the bag. So it was already like a little bit cheesy or, or, so we thought, how are we going to top it? Like, what are the jokes going to be? We want to bring, and we had like another joke we were thinking about like bringing the whole dj deck like we have a dj deck we bring with us <laughs> yeah, we yeah. just wanted like to pull out this um, humongous thing out of this small rifle bag somehow <laughs> but then we thought maybe it's a little bit too much so mm-hmm. we went with like some some small jokes right the the condoms yes. falling out at the yes. beginning um like playing it off as if it would be sebi's rifle bag <laughs> um, yeah. yeah so so and then then we put in a picture from uh, doro right <laughs> which was a picture because it's just we yeah. thought it's funny because everyone you know um mm-hmm. thinks of of dorothea like as as the yeah um diva the diva or the 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 most popular bite and and everyone a little bit looks up to her so we thought it would mm-hmm. just be funny 
like given there's already some jokes in the scene so right, we right. thought we'll yeah. sneak sneak one in there and try to like pretend we sneakily put it away so yeah no. i think the acting was not so bad but oh it was no, great it was fun it was great we really fun. enjoyed oh, yeah. it did, yeah. did uh <laughs> did doro see it and and comment about it or she didn't she didn't talk to me about it i don't know if she saw it but <laughs> well uh maybe i have to ask her i, I she didn't she didn't <laughs> yeah, mention okay. it anytime so okay. i guess not she's busy right <laughs> yeah she's got she's got all of her sponsorships all of her uh all of her things she's doing We'll make sure. We'll we'll uh, we'll find time. We'll ask her about it. Sure. Mm-hmm. No. So, how did that come up? Was I obviously it was just kind of something that the IBU does? But did they randomly come up to you, or was that something that you guys were interested in doing? I uh, know. I think it was always like they they lined it up a little bit because we mm-hmm. had the European Championships in Lanzarote, so I think they wanted mm-hmm. a Swiss athlete to do it, and uh, that's where. Yeah, they hit me up and asked, uh, you want to do the rifle bag video? Is it fine if we film it with you? And then uh, I said, of course. And then we were sitting there at uh, <laughs> dinner with the team and we were all just like these stupid ideas coming up. And uh, we had to like get all these stupid ideas and then dial it, dial it down sure, again because yeah. yeah, we had ideas <laughs> yeah. which would have been, yeah, I think just too much, too much preparation. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's where... Yeah, they they ask you if you want to do it. They have all kinds of videos, and once in a mm-hmm. while they come up and uh, ask some athletes which they think would fit in from the timing wise. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, yeah, you you film it if you want to. If you don't want to, uh, you can definitely all, always pass it. Like there's no pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no, it was it was uh, it was very well done. Yeah, we we want to see you guys do some more of this. Seems like you guys have a good uh, good comedic sense on the team. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, keeping on our track of talking about pretty much anything but biathlon, um, uh, I, as we were doing research for this and we were doing a quick, uh, you know, I was scrolling through your, uh, your, your Instagram and it seems like you guys take a lot of vacations. So to some pretty fun places. So I saw Morocco on there. I think I saw Costa Rica on there. So, um, clearly something you do just like to totally zone out, you get out of the season. Um, Actually, what I was wondering is what, what, where are your like dream vacation places? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say we do, we do get some vacation once in a while. And when I go on vacation, I definitely go far away and I feel like maybe I don't post so much when I'm on my daily training and stuff. So I post Mm -hmm. more when I'm on vacation because I feel like uh, there's something, something fun or, or nice to share maybe when I come home from a vacation. So um, yeah, I think Costa Rica has been probably the place i i like being at the most because i like going surfing i basically mm-hmm. pick my sur uh, my my vacation spots based on the surf a little bit <laughs> of course always travel time as well but like in spring you get a two and a half week vacation so there you can go somewhere somewhere further away mm-hmm. and uh yeah next up on my list i would love to go to indonesia for surf of cool. course um but also Mexico would be would be a spot I'd love to go to. But they're also both quite far away. So mm-hmm. uh, this year I picked Morocco as something more closer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually picked up a bacterial infection after Morocco, so it has oh. been quite a hustle to get back into training after yeah. after the spring spring vacation. But of course, after spring vacation, you have some time to to let the mm-hmm. body. And right. give it the time. Like when now, if you get something serious, it's going to be quite tough to get into the first trimester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to talk a... to you'll have to talk to RJ about going to Mexico. He's our 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 Mexico correspondent. 
Really? <laughs> yeah. No, so we, we made, yeah, made, we, made a couple uh, trips down there. We go usually okay, so you to surf uh, as Puerto well? Vallarta in the winter. Um, the surf is really, well, the, the bank of the beaches are really steep there. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty hard to get, get out there. And I don't recall seeing a lot of surfers there, but, uh, okay. I, I, I've been to Hawaii, but that's 15 years ago, but, uh, that's the first and only time that I actually surfed. I've done a lot of windsurfing as a kid, but never, uh, never surfing until I was in Hawaii, but it's okay. pretty, uh, okay. pretty cool. Yeah, so I was going to ask you like quite quite gnarly. I think a lot of people like love the idea to go surf because they picture like this chill mm-hmm. chill thing. But when you like properly start surfing and you get smashed a few times and you figure out <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> like with 100, I don't know, 95 heart rate you're paddling against the waves and then get smashed and then you're like, yeah. It really it really yeah, humbles you. <laughs> yeah, we learned the hard way that the, yeah. there's some corral pretty close uh or yeah right under the surface in hawaii so that uh, yeah yeah that was pretty humbling too but I, so the one thing i wanted to ask about surfing or windsurfing was there a swiss guy that was at the top of the world basically either in surfing or windsurfing not too long ago or i'm not i'm not sure i know kite surfing i know a guy which is really really good um but but windsurfing or or like surfing I'm not so sure. I know we have we have a surfing federation, hmm. and we also have this this insane uh, like wave pool where they have like artificial waves, which oh, they yeah, built yeah. I think like two or three years ago uh, in Valis, which which is insane. But uh, I don't think we have like any any top surfers or definitely no surfers on the world tour. Or um, hmm. I don't know if there's any that get close to 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 something like that. Yeah. And it's I might be talking about when you're from Switzerland. 15 years ago or so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, really recall when that was. but So as we're talking about uh, different sports than biathlon, and I'm sure we'll get into biathlon <laughs> quite a bit, but uh, I'd like to throw a couple of names out and I'd like to get your first reaction that comes up in your mind. Okay, okay go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Roger Federer. The GOAT. Yeah. Dario Colonia. Uh, people say he looks alike <laughs> to me. <laughs> people think I am. Sometimes people think I'm, I'm his smaller brother. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely someone that had big, big, big influence and, and uh, like on the whole Nordic, Nordic, uh, yeah, Swiss Nordic skiing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Insane how he changed and, and, yeah, inspired us as young young children to to watch in front of the TV and have someone to cheer for, right? Right. Permin Zürbringen, Zürbringen. Uh actually, nothing nothing pops up. Just his face. No, actually, yeah. But is he uh, is he a well known athlete still, or or former athlete? I guess, or well, yeah. So I mean, definitely, you know, you know him. Like when I think. I don't know how many people would know him if you asked them on the streets. Hmm. Um, I think in Switzerland, there's like quite, I don't know how it is in different countries, but you know, like I, I grew up quite close to the city and in the city, I'd say people, people don't really know anyone besides maybe Roger Federer, like these really, really, really big people. Um, but then when it comes to like the, the Alp, like the, the skiing and, and the winter sports, the people in the city, 
maybe not so invested and interested. So mm. I'd say they don't really know him. But if you definitely, if you grew up watching sports and, and know a little bit about sports, uh, yeah, you okay. you know about people like Pirmin, yeah. And then last one, Giacomel. Giacomel, yeah. Uh, friend, uh, enemy, and uh, <laughs> yeah. But like respect, like super, super good, good guy. Um, yeah. And were you were you friends with him for a while before the season, or? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I know him since since uh, a long time. Um, it's been I think in in my first or second year competing internationally with uh, the 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 rifle. Um, I met him in in Bormio for the first time. We had a competition and. And uh, it was actually funny on the first day, I think I broke a pole and I got like the super bad pole, which didn't fit me. So the skiing time was super bad, but he was, <laughs> his was insane. So I knew, holy shit, there's a guy, an Italian guy, and he's fast. And on the second day, we both shot one mistake and we actually ended up both getting first because we had the exact same time and he shot one mistake, oh, wow. I shot one mistake. We skied this exact same time. So we shared the first place there uh, at a Alpen Cup. That's like a series we have yeah. a small international series in our region, and uh, since since then, yeah, I think we we know each other. And uh, I always knew there's a fast guy from Italy. And then coming up in the Junior Cup, we we raced almost since then um, every season, almost yeah, almost every race against each other. So we know each other for a long time, and we have like a really respectful friendship. And uh, and and it's yeah, it's cool to see that like people you share this path with from from one of the first days like it works out for both and you both like uh step by step go mm -hmm. go the same direction so so it's it's a cool a cool thing and i think we really we're happy for each other when when the other succeeds because both of us know what this when when he can do it i can do it and and so it's like it's a mutual mutual thing i think yeah i think it feels mm -hmm. the same <laughs> and, and when did you start realizing during the season how close you were for the for the U25 race? Um, I'd say after, after Hochfilzen, I definitely knew I had a, I had a shot to, mm -hmm. to get this U25 back then. Uh, Tommy didn't have the strongest start. So it mm -hmm. was, it was more with, uh, Philip Anderson, which was, mm -hmm. was then still really strong. And, um, then after quite, quite early then in the season, I knew maybe this was, was something I'd like to pursue because I've always been someone which has been a fan of consistency. So I always mm -hmm. think athletes which which deliver extremely consistent results are the better athletes than the athletes which like are top and flop, you know, like mm -hmm. they, they're really mm -hmm. good and then they're really bad again. So, um, and I always know a, a person who, if you want to be an athlete that wants to win um, total scores, you have to have this consistency. So this is... Um, yeah, really tricky, especially in a sport like Python, to have this consistency. So then I knew actually this would be a goal of mine to to reach for this U25 globe. Um, and then after Le Grand Bonnat, I missed out two races because I was sick. Mm -hmm. the, the bib went quite quite fast to Philip. So back then I thought, okay, this is it. Uh, yeah, Philip's going to rock it from now because once he gets the blue, he's not going to give it back. Um, yeah, but I was mistaken and then it changed and it was quite turbulent. So, so Tommy started doing better races, uh, in Östersund when he got the blue bit back, uh, I had a really, really bad week. Um, I still don't really know why. Um, but yeah, this, the season ended like totally, 
totally crazy. I didn't expect mm-hmm. anything to happen in Oslo. I thought it was over after Östersund. Um, but yeah, from quite early, it was for me, it was the goal to, to keep this blue bib. Yeah. So that was exactly what I was going to ask was, I remember Ostersund didn't go great, right? You know, you, you, it looked like you had just sort of hit the wall a little bit. And then the sprint race in Oslo, again, not great. And I think you even posted something on Instagram about like, you felt like your batteries were just completely empty. So yeah. what happened? Cause very quickly you recovered. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, um, I was convinced after after Östersund. I went to Östersund, and I knew Östersund is a big chance. We have all the mm-hmm. big guys missing. We had Johannes, which was not there. We had, uh, yeah, I think I, I'd say probably. You know, I knew if you want to make a podium in the individual, I knew there was also the small globe and in individual up for grabs. It was basically um, just Vettle against me mm-hmm. for the globe. So I knew. Um, I, I could do a podium with a, a quite decent race in individual um, because I knew races before, if you delete out the guys which were in front of me, I would have been on the mm-hmm. podium because they were mm-hmm. not competing in Östersund. So I know, I knew it would not have been uh, necessarily needing a huge race to to yeah get on the podium. And I don't know if, if something my head switched uh, off, but the individual was insane insanely tough i started skiing and i pushed like hell i had the feeling if i would not have gotten any times or would not have seen any other athletes i would have probably thought this is a strong day from my side like mm-hmm. i i pushed like hell the whole race it and i pushed and pushed and the times were just bad like the coaches told me no 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 <laughs> and you you yeah. realize when the when the coaches are suddenly not like this energized anymore you know you're like fuck this is this is bad <laughs> and uh yeah, that was tough because I didn't quite understand why. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if maybe the ski was not the best because, yeah, it just it just didn't go forward even though I felt fresh and I pushed like hell. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I just thought at the end of Östersund, you know what, it's, I mean, it's clear, like I'm, I'm 23 years old. It's been my first World Cup season, which I compete completely because before mm-hmm. I've always been after Olympics, I've had Corona and I was out uh, mm-hmm. the season before I was sick and not competing all the races. And then this season, you know, it's it's so much more pressure. Uh, it uses up more energy if you're like fighting for points. It's been my first season where I've, every race I knew today, every point is going to decide where I go in mm-hmm. the ranking, right? So, so the pressure on every single race is way higher than it is when you're not up there yet right so mm. also it's more races you you race every mass start and it's just so much uh, to take in and and if you're not used to it it takes a few years i remember in oslo after the sprint this the sprint was the worst race of the season and yeah it was a, a huge flip which happened and i remember after that race i i i was in the cabin getting dressed and i said i said to the other athletes i was like fuck like what's going on this is incredible and mm-hmm. then they told me as well, uh, like Fiona and, and uh, Johannes told me as well, like, don't worry, you know, it's going to take a few seasons to get used to it uh, until you like really can hold this. And yeah, I knew after Östersund that I have to kind of go for a risk. Usually I train a lot between the mm-hmm. races because it helps me to stay in shape. Mm-hmm. But I knew I need some rest and uh so we actually, towards the sprint, I did two or three days of rest and uh, not training mm. much or just really a little bit. And that's why the sprint was a total shock for the body. And mm-hmm. the idea was to use the sprint to get back into shape. 
And I think there there was a few things coming together for those two, yeah, which I still think were the best races for my season, the last two races. Um, I think I had a great ski. Uh, the shape got back because I rested and then I had the sprint to get me like kicked again, mm-hmm. the body t- to throw it into into a good shape again. And I think those things came a little bit together and then it, yeah, it just worked. And after the individual, after the pursuit, I just had such, such big confidence to go head to head against the others because the pursuit was such a good race. So, um, I went to the start line and the mass start and I knew I don't have anything to lose. You know, the gap mm. to, to the athletes behind in the ranking is, is quite, quite big. And if I want to win the U25, I have to win a medal. And I don't know. I just, yeah, I just didn't care. I wanted the season to end. I wanted to race this race and, and enjoy <laughs> it one, one last time, you know, um, yeah. And then it just worked out. Yeah. How much do you remember from like the, the mass start itself? Cause I know for me personally, just watching it, um, like one of my memories, like one of my snapshot memories of the season was, I think it was like one of the, the fourth or fifth lap and, uh, you were skiing with Vetla and you just sort of skied away from him. And I was like, damn, like <laughs> you just like, you must've been feeling it. And like, I don't know if you could just like taste the, the, the globe, you know, but you just like, you're like, I'm done. I'm getting out of here, right? I'm going to I'm going to go take off. So, I just thought that was amazing. Yeah, it was a it was an amazing feeling. Like uh I say also the the race emotionally was for me the emotionally the biggest race because just you know, like in the individual races, the first podium of the season was the first podium. You think it's going to be super emotional, but it came like out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Well, not out of nowhere. I've been training years for this, right? So it's you could you could think there's quite a lot of emotions connected to it. But I just raced the race, and once all of a sudden, I was on the podium. I was like, "What the hell?" Uh, so <laughs> basically, you can't like really realize it. But towards the end of the season, there's been so much pressure I built up. You know, like a little bit. You want to, you want this, you want that. You know what you're capable of. So you're not that happy anymore with a 15th place. You want to get to mm-hmm. that top 10 on every race, and. uh and then when you come over that finish line, a mass start is just emotionally something else. Like you guys know from watching, you, you know exactly mm-hmm. where you are. Um, this is what Python mm-hmm. is for me, this pressure also with the shooting man to man. And I remember coming over the finish line and just like realizing what's going on because you have so much adrenaline uh, before that. And and I knew, I think on the third lap, it was basically Vettel and me. Vettel had, mm-hmm. I think, five, six, seven second gap in front of me so i had to close down mm-hmm. this gap and when i closed down this gap i was actually quite happy and i thought okay now i can rest behind him but then he let me pass so i was i was thinking is this guy playing games or yeah. is he like really not able to follow and then over like certain areas of the track i realized okay this guy is is actually fighting he's he's really really fighting to stay behind me so i in the fourth shooting i knew of course i have to shoot clean i risked it mm-hmm. i shot fast but then when I left the range, I was really confident that I could I could pull this gap because it was a two or three second gap. And then f- this gap, you don't want it, him to close it down. So I went full from the beginning. And uh, yeah, then then I when I when you realize the gap opens up, like you realize it's it's going to work. And, and this yeah. this gives you energy again. Right. So mm-hmm. so it's an incredible feeling. Yeah. And on that day, I, day I can remember I just I just skied like hell on the last lap. Uh, and yeah. I just, yeah. I just knew it that was, he's not going to come back. So, so it, it was, was a great feeling. Yeah, really impressive to watch that, right? And just to see, because I mean, like, just exactly what you were describing. I mean, that's what that's what came through on the on the screen, right? And just seeing the like 
you know, it was like you were you were like pulling away, and then it was like two seconds later, it felt like you were just like like you were just you know pulled away even further. So yeah, that, I mean, like I said, that was one of the snapshot memories for me that'll just kind of stick with the uh, with with all of last season. Mm-hmm. I I also like I knew it was close between you and Tommaso, but um, I think a couple of weeks after I wrote an article for the IBU with some mm-hmm. visuals and then I, only then I realized how close it really was and uh, yeah. how tight that race was between the two of you. So, so uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was super close. Like I knew it has to be a podium and also he has to do a bad race. Otherwise mm-hmm. it's not right. going to work out. So, so uh, I wasn't thinking about the globe anymore, but the, mm-hmm. I was just, you know, in that, at that point, if you, if you're on a metal course and you, I've not been on a metal course that often, uh, or like fixing a medal in this way in a mass start, uh, you don't you don't think about the globe at that time. It's just right. uh, I didn't care where Tommaso was. Uh, I was just doing my race because the silver medal is like super incredible for me, especially if it's behind Johannes. It feels like a gold medal, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so so it's so it's incredible. And and then you don't really think about a lot. But then when I came over the line, I just I just realized that maybe today is the day where it all works out somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, like all these things come together and then quite fastly i realized that also yeah the medal and then also this this 25 globe i'm getting it back somehow Mm -hmm. which uh, i felt like i've been racing the whole season with the blue more or less i felt Mm -hmm. like i just wanted this globe it would feel bad to like race the blue all season and then lose it so so it was definitely a goal and and yeah i remember coming over the finish line like gasping for air and Johannes wanted to give me a fist bump, but then he like realized that I was like, like literally not getting air and like crying and emotionally. So he gave me a big hug, and it was just yeah, yeah. a nice moment. Yeah, yeah. If he gave you a fist bump, he might have knocked you over. Yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna ask, like, did you know going into the season that you were ready for that kind of leap? Because obviously, you had won the junior globe, right? I think in 2019, 2020. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, like you mentioned the Olympic season, you, you had Corona right afterwards. And, um, you know, so did, I mean, that was a, just a sort of a massive jump that you made from, from that, uh, U25, I think you were what 11th in the overall. So that was a, that was a, just a gigantic overall leap. Yeah, it was a, it was a huge jump and it's actually quite funny because if I look back at it, I can, I have like this, this similar feeling I had when. I did one big jump before in my career, which uh, coming into this this uh, junior cup season, which which uh, I did a big jump and and mm-hmm. suddenly was able to win races after races and and mm-hmm. get this globe, and uh, it felt quite easy back then. And I can remember that into that season, I was I was looking forward to to the season to start. I had like this inner feeling that I wanna I wanna start the season now. I couldn't wait for the first race. And then, you know, other seasons, you're like a little bit unsure. And um, I, f- I think that somehow the body, it felt ready because it was maybe on a level it wasn't before. So somehow you feel, I don't know, on a, on a different level, you feel confident and, and looking forward to race because the body feels ready and it, it gives a signal mm-hmm. to you. And coming into this season, I had the same I had the same experience. I remember on the train ride to, to Kontiolahti, I was just looking forward for this for this first race i just wanted to race and i I was feeling so so energized for the season to start because um yeah the body somehow i think felt ready did did somewhat Mm -hmm. of a of a jump and and that signalized 
maybe the head as well that you know you want to sure and I think these two seasons I had quite similar feeling coming into the season I don't know if it was maybe just a coincidence or or if there is some correlation um mm-hmm. but but yeah I was just looking forward into it and coming into the season um I had a big break from corona Mm-hmm. So there's been a few months, then we weren't quite sure the heart, if there's problems with the heart. So I stopped training again oh, I didn't um, know that. In, in spring. Yeah, yeah. Well, after Corona, basically, I started training again, uh, tried to use the leftover snow. And uh, yeah, uh-huh. then I got like, like heart beating, like really fast. I had like 230 heart rate once I was on my oh. watch and was like, bah, 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 and I was, I was quite frightened. So I was like, uh, yeah, stop the training again go do some checks and and these checks they take take a while sometimes and then coming back the break was quite long so it's been quite difficult in the summer last year to mm-hmm. to kind of like get back into a good shape where i can train also with my teammates because they were all just uh going too fast for me in the endurance sessions because i was just not there yet yeah uh, but then quite quite fast actually the body came back uh, quite well and I felt there was something going on and I started to to get quite strong on roller skis as well, which I'm usually not. Usually the roller <laughs> skiing is not my part. I like the, the skiing on skis, fortunately. Um, <laughs> so so there I realized that I'm stronger than in, in comparison to the rest of the team than I usually am. Mm-hmm. Um, and that maybe could have also been a few signals, but it's always hard to tell in summer, you know, you, you can't. You can't get uh, too yeah. too happy about where you are in summer because you never know. Maybe the rest of the team is like just super in a super bad state, or or mm-hmm. you don't know what's going on. And and if you're good in summer and training, it doesn't mean that you're good in winter. So you always have to stay calm. And uh, but yeah, definitely there were there. Were, I think there were a few signs uh, that that it did go quite well. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is is that COVID gave you superpowers. Well, I think like <laughs> it gave my heart superpowers it's faster. No. Yeah. Um, basically, yeah. I think I was thinking about it as well because uh, Johannes also after that season after Olympics yeah. he stopped. And mm-hmm. I think as well Johannes did another step this year. Um I think we have never seen him this strong like yeah. in skiing and shooting both. Mm-hmm. Um than he has been this year, so I was I was also thinking uh, that maybe like all four or five years, you maybe need a little bit of a bigger break. Like we mm-hmm. usually have these Absolutely. three, three and a half weeks uh, at the end of the season where we take a break. That's when I go on vacation, surf, you know, <laughs> like really get your mind off. Yeah. And and maybe the body just needs like once in a while, like a bigger break, which maybe is like two months or something to yeah. to be able to like really get going again. Because Johannes had a big break. I had a big break. Yep. and. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. There's there's no studies. It's not scientific. But I was thinking that this could also be like something it which could sense. be quite beneficial, like in in a long term, absolutely um, perspective. Once in a while, because earlier you were also saying that um, when you took the break, kind of close to the end of the season, that you you felt like your body was telling you it needed a break. So I think for for somebody as young as you, that's, that's good that you can already recognize it and feel confident enough to you know, to listen to your body. Cause I'm sure your brain's like, no, 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 you got to keep training and training, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, sometimes there's quite clear signals that you need a break, but, um, like in Östersund, they didn't feel bad. It was more like after the races, I started fe- feeling bad because 
if you if you perform bad your head is maybe not at the right spot anymore mm. and then you kind of accept that maybe okay maybe it's logical i'm just not performing anymore it's it's been a long season so it's clear um but yeah sometimes you need a break and i think that's that's the most important part as an athlete to realize when you need this break and then take right. the break because that's that's more or less our job and that's the most important thing you try to train as much as you can mm-hmm. without uh like really doing too much and, and breaking your body right and not being able right. to to rest well so you have to have this feeling all the time and and it's it's every day you know it's not only during the season it's it's every day i do it in training i i wake up in the training and i try to feel how is my body feeling is it getting too mm-hmm. much is it good can i do a little bit more this is basically a constant process and and you learn more and more and get more confident about your decisions as well on the way do you use speaking of that do you use any of those um tools like what the whooper like the you know that shows like how like the quality of rest to guide you at all or is it more based on just how you're feeling it's it's quite quite certainly based mostly on the feeling um definitely we have a few few things i take my hrv uh in the morning i don't have a whoop but i have a watch and and, uh, that's why i measure my hrv and mm-hmm. and you can you can tell a little bit, but usually you can tell better afterwards than than during the morning. Sure. So sometimes, yeah. like afterwards, you were like, oh yeah, it was <laughs> it was maybe already able. You were able to tell. Yeah. Um, but but mostly it's it's really the feeling, and I and I think the feeling when you're young, it's it's quite hard to build this feeling or or like be confident about your decisions regarding the feeling. But um, I had this bacterial infection, for example, in the in the spring. Mm-hmm. I really felt this was not a normal virus, something. I, I felt like this is not normal for me. I went to the doctors. We did checks and there's like, ah, this is a virus. Don't worry. It will go by. Then I started training one and a half weeks. And of course, after a long break and you were sick as well. So it was maybe six weeks without without training. It's going to take a while to get back to, to decent training. But then I felt it's not it's not going the way it is so i really had the feeling there's no way this my body is good there must still be something going on and then it turned out there was a bacterial infection indeed mm. which was still in the body mm-hmm. so so there these things like if you if you have this feeling and then it gets proven that your feeling was right it, it gives mm-hmm. you the confidence about your feeling and and you need this yeah. a few times in your career that like some some scientific or or like you have evidence or proof that your feeling was also right. So, mm-hmm. so you can build this feeling a little bit. And I think um, from, from then as well, I, I saw once more that the feeling really, you can, you can yeah. feel it because the HRV was good. The, the heart rate in the training was a little bit high, uh, but it was not like, but I felt that something was just not right. And, and hmm. yeah, you have to build it and, and trust a little yeah. bit your feeling as well. But also you can't get, like too crazy about your feeling because otherwise you know you wake up you feel tired and you're gonna get uh yeah mm-hmm. unsure so so you have to right. kind of like it's not easy yeah but that's Do i you... think that's the hardest part about the sport right right